0: Today's episode covers topics like trauma, spiritual bypassing, and abuse, including sexual abuse. So please listen at your own discretion. When you just have these
1: obsessive or intrusive thoughts about, you know, is God pleased with me? Did that make God mad? Um, Is this, you know, minor inconvenience, an attack from Satan, am I being punished? You know, when you have those constant, like, negative thoughts that affect your day-to-day life, like, that's a good sign that you've got some religious trauma.
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie
2: and Gary Ellen.
0: and this is Holy Heretics. Our guest today is Jess Hugenberg. She has a master's in clinical mental health counseling from Southwestern Assemblies of God University, and she has dedicated her career to the study of trauma after working with children and families in the foster care system, community services, and residential treatment. And she's also the woman behind the Instagram account, Welcome to the Process, if you have ever seen that. And through that account, she helps thousands of people recognize, process, and heal from their religious trauma. Welcome, Jess. We're so excited to be talking to you today. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. And
1: I'm not alone. I've got my dog, Dallas. He might have a few words to say, (laughs) but otherwise, I'm just super excited to be here.
2: (laughs) Well, we're glad to have Dallas with us as well. That's kind of like a bonus. So we have totally been looking forward to talking with you for a number of reasons, Jess. Uh, one, as Melanie mentioned, you specialize in religious trauma, spiritual bypassing, which I'm not sure I even know what is, uh, that is, so I can't wait to hear that, mental health, and then in particular, recovering from purity culture. So So many of the things that those of us in the deconstruction community know we need to deal with, but we really aren't sure how to deal with those things. So Let's just start with something very simple. What is religious trauma and what made you so passionate about helping people heal from it?
1: So religious trauma, that is something that develops after we experience religious abuse, which can be kind of, you know, happen independently alongside other forms of abuse, like physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, But trauma in general is really anything that overwhelms our ability to cope by threatening our safety, our security, or our livelihood. And when we're talking about religious trauma, we're really talking about trauma that happens as a result of like dogmatic controlling religions where we don't have the autonomy over our thoughts or our feelings and actions um, or our body if, we, if we're talking about purity culture. Um, and we're also talking about like when religion was used to cause or justify harm to our minds and our bodies. Um, as far as why I'm so passionate about it, um, so like you guys mentioned, I'm a trauma therapist. So like over the last five years, I've really committed to studying as much as I can about trauma and recovery. And then as I've healed from my own trauma, I recognized just how like intertwined my faith was to the my previous trauma. Um, you know, you mentioned I attended like a private Christian university and I quickly learned just through my friendships and peer relationships that there was so much hurt that had been experienced in the church. So I guess I'd say just like the combination of my own experiences along with hearing the stories of others. That's really what has gotten me in this space.
0: Hmm. So how did you come to be aware of and recognize the trauma you had gone through and then start dealing with it? Like, was that because of the things you've been studying or did it happen before then?
1: I would say I realized that I had trauma maybe a few months before I started uh, studying counseling. Um, I really did not even recognize that my life experiences had been traumatic until maybe like my second semester of undergrad. And then literally overnight, I had one nightmare about um, some abuse that I had experienced and just developed full-fledged PTSD, Um, almost dropped out of school. It was not a healthy season in my life. And so for probably over a, a year, I really only considered my trauma to be related to this abuse, but I was at this Christian university and realized like my like closest friends didn't know how to support me without the spiritual bypassing or being in chapel in certain spaces, I felt very like reminded of the like way that abuse was justified within like my childhood. And so probably six months after I started my own therapy, I realized like I want to be a counselor. And then that's when like I really realized like, oh, a lot of these experiences weren't normal. Mm. Um, and so it's probably though been within the last two years since I've been done with my master's degree, as I've done my own work and work with clients that I found the language for like purity culture and spiritual bypassing and religious trauma. Um, and once I found that language, it really opened up like a whole other, other avenue of healing and recovery for me.
0: Mm. How did, how did you find that language? Like, was that something you, you came up with or were there other people who led the way or where did you find that? So I think I mean
1: it, it, I when I was right like really ripe in my trauma recovery I was just reading as much as I could. And so I I wish I could give credit where credit was due, but I obviously it's not original thoughts um, but I was just trying to like make sense of what I had experienced. And so I think it probably started on Twitter. Um I know Joe Lumen, she was mm-hmm. someone that I had followed a couple years ago she talks a lot about like religious trauma and um, I'm trying to think of where I heard the term spiritual bypassing. I think it came up in conversation and it just resonated with me. So I, I researched more about it um, and I was like, man, this totally describes what I've experienced. And so just over the last few years, just doing my reading on religious trauma and um, yeah.
2: So it, it's interesting to me because I think, as you said, a lot of us have been traumatized Um whether it be in church or maybe in Christian organizations um wow i've got a story there and we don't <laughs> even rec- recognize that we have been the victim of traumatic experiences so can you talk a little bit about the process of identifying trauma and then what recovery looks like for someone who has experienced probably more specifically spiritual spiritual trauma uh maybe maybe my my better question is, is this sort of a one size fits all process of recovery or does every person kind of take their own route?
1: It's definitely a unique route like toward recovery and toward what healing looks like. Um, I know for me, like trauma itself is so disorienting and sometimes that recovery process can be just as disorienting because trauma ultimately like attacks our identity and our like sense of safety. And then as you start to unravel Those traumatic beliefs we really that we've probably really embodied. It's kind of like we don't know who we are without this trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was me for sure. Especially the church was a safe place for me. Like during all of the abuse that I experienced and really difficult times in my life. Like I was the good Christian girl, and I. It's probably just been again in the last few years that I realized, like, man, my identity was just wrapped up in like being the best Christian that I could be outwardly, Um, and so. I think, you know, when, when it comes to our individual recovery, it is going to look different depending on what we've experienced and what we were taught, like what those beliefs that we hold are. But we also, we all have different like resilience factors and risk factors. So having a supportive community, having friends um, or family that are able to support you either during that time that that trauma was happening or as you're deconstructing or recovering from trauma, um, that is an added benefit. But then when you have those additional traumas like like abuse, domestic violence, you know, having mental illness, things like that, that can make your journey a little bit more difficult. Um, but there are some primary tasks I think that we have to achieve in order to recover from trauma. Um, and this hopefully isn't a little too long winded, but I think first is we have to learn how to manage our symptoms and recognize those symptoms. Um, you know, religious trauma syndrome, it's not an official DSM diagnosis. So we can, we most likely look at like PTSD or complex PTSD. Um, and we see like a cluster of symptoms that include like reliving the trauma through flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive thoughts, and distressing like internal experiences, um, or avoiding places, people, memories that might remind us of that trauma, um, as well as having persistent negative beliefs about ourselves and the world and feeling detached, um, and just being like hyper-vigilant and having difficulty concentrating, being irritable. Um, those are kind of the symptoms that we look at when we talk about trauma. Um, And with religious trauma, like, that could be, like, marked feelings of distress when you pass a church or you hear a certain song, um, having obsessive thoughts about going to hell. Mm. Um, So I think that's kind of, like, the first task is just doing an inventory of, like, what are you experiencing? Like, what is actually going on? Getting an accurate assessment and that kind of, like, guides treatment. Um, And then there are some other tasks, but um, that might include… Like regaining autonomy over your body, like feeling more connected to your everyday experience and learning how to trust your own thoughts and your own judgment. Because, you know, when we have religious trauma, a lot of times we're taught like our bodies are wrong and our emotions are wrong. And so that trauma recovery looks like just kind of regaining your autonomy and your sense of self.
0: Which, as I'm hearing that, I'm like, well, that's that's not allowed. Because <laughs> that's like what we were taught is like... You submit and you do what your authority figures tell you to do and, like, nothing good comes from you. It's all from God. So, like, you should feel negative about yourself. It's just really fascinating to hear you say these things because it almost feels like, like, oh, how could I be listening to this? I mean, that's how, yeah. in- that's how deeply ingrained some of that is, I think. Um, and you mentioned purity culture. Uh, and we have talked with a few people now about purity culture and about sex and about abuse. and i'm I'm curious what some of the lies are that people need to heal from, or like how purity culture can be traumatic, and then, like, how we undo those lies.
1: man. Yes. So purity culture, I consider purity culture to be like religious sexual trauma because you it. A part of what makes it traumatic is one the loss of autonomy over your body, um, especially for women, but I think also you know for men, we're, we're taught that our bodies are they're not our own. We have to submit to our spouses, which gets like weirdly translated to like. I have a lot of conversation with women that, like, well, should I be submitting to my boyfriend or to my brother? Like, they, it, women develop this idea that they have to submit to like every male around them, which makes navigating like dating relationships very difficult. Um, you know, part of trauma is that it impedes our like normal development. When we experience trauma, we're going to experience deficits and delays in our social, emotional, and sexual development, and so. Purity culture really tells us that we're not allowed to like develop sexually until we're married, so we're not allowed to have an understanding of what our sexual desires are, what feels pleasurable to us, and we don't develop sexual boundaries. Really, the boundary is just don't do it until you're married and don't do it unless you're straight, and hmm. we don't know how to navigate the situations that we find ourselves in where you know it's kind of assumed that any sexual activity is consensual. Like, well, you shouldn't have been in that room, so you must have wanted it. You shouldn't have dated that person. Um, you must have wanted to do X, Y, and Z. So it kind of compounds the like sexual trauma um, that people may already experience um, through sexual abuse or sexual assault. That kind of adds another layer of um, trauma to the mix.
0: Hmm. Goodness. So then how do we even begin on doing that, I mean, because even even though we've talked to so many people and I do not ascribe to purity culture at all anymore, it still feels like wrong to say it's okay to enjoy sex as a woman, or it's okay to say no to my spouse um or or like that consent even matters. like that I feel like we were just taught implicitly all the time that women don't get to have consent. And so even like you saying those things, it can be very much like, okay, but that's that's what sex is for a woman. So now what, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think a part of it is purity culture and then just the regular, like, I don't like using this term, like secular, like culture, like outside of the church world, n- neither of them honor women and neither of them really value like women's sexual pleasure. Um, You know, I think purity culture and rape culture have a lot in common. Again, going back to like victim blaming and the -hmm. assumption of consent, um, you know, the idea that women are supposed to be sexually submissive and not have any thoughts, feelings or ideas about it. And men are always the aggressor. Like I think purity culture, rape culture has a low view of men and women. Um, And so I think it really requires kind of unlearning these like internal like biases that we have or assumptions that we have, um, about sex. I mean, it Mm -hmm. requires a lot, a lot of unlearning that I've had to, um, do like, that's a big part of how I even realized that I had religious trauma is because a big part of my abuse was sexual abuse. And I spent so many years like trying to talk to like my therapist, like, and they really didn't understand when I was explaining to them, this like Christian, culture that I came from. Like I had a therapist say like, oh, you should masturbate. Like that'll help you heal. And I was just like, I can't do that. And she's like, why? (laughs) And I was like, I'm not allowed. Like (laughs) it was really like a bizarre. And at first I felt very offended because I'm like, she knows I'm a Christian. Why would she recommend that? Um, And I like was very and like I don't know if I should say this. I was already doing it, but I was afraid to say I was like, I, even to my (laughs) therapist, I had to lie and say like, oh no, I can't do that. Like I'm a Christian. I can't do that. (laughs) Um, Goodness. And so that's like a more humorous like example, but even just talking to other therapists of like, well, like a a good godly man's not going to want to marry me because I'm not a virgin. And my mm. like therapist, again, who wasn't a Christian, was like, "What does that have to do with anything?" <laughs> and I was like, "You don't understand. like it's a value. Like I've heard I went to a Bible college. I heard the young men say, like, "Oh, I only want a virgin." Um, and that, like that's when I realized like, oh, I have this like religious sexual trauma that's in this thing called purity culture, and that really compounded my healing um, from sexual abuse. And I think it wasn't until I found the language for purity culture that I was able to make the strides that I did and like my ability to have like normal healthy, like dating relationships. And I mean, I'm 26 years old and still like, how do I do this? Cause I feel like I'm 15 again because hmm. I never <laughs> had those opportunities to like develop normal, healthy, like male relationships in that sense, you know?
2: Hmm. Yeah. So trauma is really difficult. Um, I think to define and also to admit that it has happened to us. Um because so much of it might be very latent. It may not be a specific example that you can point to. Um, and, and I don't want to use anything graphic from a triggering perspective, but I think it was Freud who talked about denial, which is kind of some one of the best ways to hide from the reality that we have experienced pain. We have yeah. experienced trauma uh, either from our family backgrounds, from our church backgrounds, from our work backgrounds, from relationships or or dating. And can you just talk about maybe some of the signs that point toward the fact that you as an individual may have been a victim of spiritual or physical or emotional trauma?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So earlier I mentioned some of those like criteria for PTSD, but when we look at them maybe specifically for religious trauma, um, like I said, one of the biggest things is like our, how our social, emotional, and sexual development is impeded. So we we see these delays in our ability to relate well with others and to handle conflict and set boundaries. You know, there's usually a lot of guilt associated with setting boundaries, and we have difficulty handling conflict, especially with people who believe differently than us. Um, you know, we're taught that people that think differently than us are usually, like, wrong and sinful and are just trying to, like, lead us astray, Um, then like in terms of emotions, we're taught that like our emotions are wrong and our emotions are sinful, um, that we're displeasing God or we're giving the enemy a foothold. And then of course, like we mentioned with purity culture, um, you know, we're just very disembodied from our, our bodies and not just sexually, like we're just taught like, oh, we shouldn't. Be gluttons. We shouldn't be lazy. Like we like we learn to ignore the cues that we have to like eat food that brings us joy and to rest and mm-hmm. um, to sleep. You know, to do all the things that help us to be healthy. And then you also have like the sexual development side of it. Um, and then I think another sign of like religious trauma goes back to that symptom of like persistent negative beliefs about ourselves and the world. You know, because we come to view ourselves as inherently evil, depraved people who are in need of, like, constant redemption. And we're just one step away from displeasing an angry God who's going to send us to hell for eternity. Um, That was something that I struggled with, like, every day. was like, am I – like, when I get dressed in the morning, am I displeasing God? Like, did God want me to, like, talk to this person today? Like, you're just constantly second-guessing yourself, wondering if you're displeasing God. Um, And then we also – we see, like – with the negative thoughts about the world we come to mistrust anyone that's not a christian we come we we develop these feelings of like mistrust and paranoia and perceived persecution which i feel like i see a lot in our world today um and then again like just having those negative beliefs can lead to like depression and anxiety or like a manifestation of like religious ocd where you're focused on these like religion-focused obsessions or compulsions, like I have to do X, Y, and Z so many times or I'm going to go to hell or someone I love is going to go to hell. Um, And you just have these obsessive or intrusive thoughts about, you know, is God pleased with me? Did that make God mad? Um, Is this, you know, minor inconvenience an attack from Satan? Am I being punished? You know, when you have those constant like negative thoughts that affect your day-to-day life, like that's a good sign that you've got some religious trauma.
2: Well, you know, for me, just to be very personal here, um, I began to notice that I had been traumatized, um, early on, uh, and then later on in my youth, um, because I had so much anger and there was, there was sort of a I I kept, I would tell a therapist, it was like, there was a flame burning in my soul and mm-hmm. there was just rage underneath the surface. And I think it it, it kind of goes back to and points back to that notion of being a victim, uh, being uh, preyed upon, um, being abused, and well, was it abuse? Was it not abuse? And then you start blaming yourself for what happened to you, again, whether it was spiritual and you were you know, a part of a church that was spiritual, or if it was physical, and Do you see that as well? Is is that a sign? Um, Because, you know, that's something that I still wrestle with and struggle with is when something happens to me, something goes wrong. I get angry so quickly because I'm back to that place where I'm being abused again. And, you know, how do you move forward from that? So I'll pay you for this counseling session (laughs) later. You know, that's I think it's a reality for a lot of us who may have been victimized.
1: Absolutely. I think, I think I've got a couple of different thoughts on this. So one is anger is probably the most like feared and misunderstood emotion inside and outside of the church. And so sometimes we have anger and then it's compounded by like feelings of guilt. Like, oh, I shouldn't feel angry. And we just kind of do this like downward spiral. But like my, my day job is working with trauma. And I mean, I work a lot with like traumatized kids and teenagers and all of them, all of them are angry. Like they, they're Mm. referred to me because they have these anger outbursts. They're fighting, they're, you know, being, you know, what's the word that they like to use? Defiant. Um, Mm. And that doesn't, go away like an adult an adult. um i remember i'm going to share another like personal story um i was going to work and i'd forgotten something i lived about an hour away from my office and i was going to work and i needed this thing and i was like if i drive back it's going to be another hour and then to go back to the office it's going to be 2 hours going to be 2 hours late for work and i was so like angry i don't even know what i was angry at like myself and i was in my parking lot at work and i just like threw my coffee cup down and it shattered everywhere And I was so, like, embarrassed. No one was even there yet. And that night I had therapy and I was like, Chris, I I broke a cup today. And he was like, okay. I was like, no, like, I was so angry. I broke a cup in my parking lot at work. Like, how horrible is that? Like, I'm I'm such a bad person. I'm out of control. And he was like, it just sounds like you were angry. Like, you're not an out of control person. And so, like, I had such a distorted view of what it meant to be angry because I associated it with abuse. I associated it with people that had hurt me. Um, and so I had to come to this place where I didn't like fear the anger and kind of had mm-hmm. to like, what message was it sending me? Like, how can I befriend this anger? Uh, what does it need <laughs> in that moment? Um, you know, for me, I was feeling like really overworked and just overwhelmed. And so I needed rest. Um, but I think, you know, our anger, it takes us. So I, I operate when I do therapy from um, an orientation or a model called internal family systems. And it's kind of this idea that we have all these different internal parts. Sometimes they can be like manifested like through emotions or memories or experiences. And so like when I work with little kids, like if you think about Inside Out, we have like the movie Inside Out. Mm. Um, There's the little emotion guys. So we'll talk like, okay, what does your anger part need? You know, and these kids will have these really profound like stories. I'm like, man, my anger part, one kid, he's like, he just needs a sandwich and a hug. And I was like, amen, we all need a sandwich <laughs> and a hug. Um, and so <laughs> when I communicate these ideas to like adults, really it's about having those like emotional intelligence skills of like checking in and like, what am I actually feeling angry about? Like you mentioned that it reminds you of times when you were abused or when you were hurt, And you might have to go back and ask yourself, like, what did you need then, like when that mm-hmm. abuse or that hurt was happening? because um, I think that anger is gonna keep rising up, especially like we we would call that maybe like, kind of like a flashback. You know, sometimes we think of flashbacks as like the war movies where you're having flashbacks of bombs and stuff going on. But sometimes it's just like your body remembers how you felt when that abuse happened. Yes. And so even though the situation is different, your body still thinks it's happening again. And we have to step in and kind of like reparent ourselves. Um, even if we have great parents, we have to reparent ourselves and meet those emotional needs that we didn't have met when that harm was happening.
0: Hmm.
2: Thank you I, for that. Yeah,
0: that I feel like I feel like I'm in therapy right now. I'm putting so many pieces together. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's so true, though. Like I, I've definitely had experiences where, like, my body knows what I'm experiencing before my mind does, and like it'll be like a day or two of just like tension and like uh, frustration and all this stuff, and then like a couple days later, I'll be like, oh, this is why I've been so like uptight and confused is because this thing is in, in like my subconscious is bothered by it. It's just my conscience hasn't figured it out yet. And I think a huge part of that is like, as Christians we're taught, like to, to suppress emotions because we're supposed to like be even keeled and we're not supposed to reach the extremes because then that means we're out of control. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. And another aspect of this is when it comes to trauma, I feel like, um, we're so good at throwing cliches at situations when someone says like, I don't like what you're doing, or this isn't okay that you did this to me or, or saying like, this happened to me and it was abuse. We're so good at just saying things like, well, you just need to forgive and forget, or, don't be bitter at them. Just have faith. God, you know, vengeance is the Lord's. You just need to like move on or, you know, it it gets worse than when you have like ideas of like, well, was this God's will that it happened? You know, now how do we handle that? And I don't think there's ever really good answers. So I'm curious, like, how, how do we abandon that kind of language and those responses or, or how do we, how do we ourselves and then how do we help others get rid of these patronizing and demeaning phrases um, and stop bypassing that trauma, but instead like acknowledge it and then also um, help if we can or if nothing else, just be there for them?
1: I I was always taught or I remember being taught in a training um, in one of my trauma therapy trainings um, to ask myself to wait before I respond when someone is talking or doing a certain type of processing to not try to like fill the silence or provide an answer. And the wait, like it's an acronym for – there's two twofold. Why am I talking? So what need do I have? Like why do I feel like I need to be talking right now mm. or giving this type of like advice? And then along with that, like why am I troubled? Like why am I feeling discomfort? Um, why am I, you know – Am I feeling the same type of emotion that they're feeling, or am I feeling triggered and having that like internal sense of awareness? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how my like my platform started was really talking about spiritual bypassing. And it's kind of like evolved into talking more about purity culture and religious trauma. Like, I think spiritual bypassing. Is kind of like on the spectrum of religious trauma. You know, it, it's just another aspect of how it can manifest. And I've kind of realized in my own life through like what I've needed to recover was developing emotional intelligence skills and spiritual integrity skills. Um, and so, like, emotional intelligence includes like self awareness. Hey, Dallas. And, hey, Dallas. <laughs> um, it, it includes uh, self awareness, self motivation, self regulation, uh, self leadership, empathy. Like, those are skills that we're not. Like none of us are explicitly taught, whether we're in the church or we're not, you know, there's, there's skills that we have to be intentionally developed. And usually it's through our parents, you know, teaching us or modeling for us how to be self-aware to understand what emotions we're having and where they come from, um, to hold space, to model empathy, you know, to not rush to like find a solution or like over-spiritualize things. Um, I think empathy is a big piece where we get like empathy and like pity, confused where we think like we feel sorry for someone or we're like moved or bothered by a situation, but we don't really know how to like hold space for our own experience and the other person's experience. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a big reason why we spiritually bypass is we're just uncomfortable. We just don't know what to do. And it also feels a lot safer to over-spiritualize things. Like if we can say, oh, well, like, like that's God's will, we don't have to just succumb to like the chaos of the world and the unpredictability, <laughs> or we can attribute it to like evil. We can attribute it to Satan and not like our own poor choices or the poor harmful choices of someone else. Um, and I think then like we also have to develop these spiritual integrity skills where, like we're, regardless of what you believe, like why do you believe that? Where did that belief come from and what do you value and how are your beliefs and your values aligned or misaligned and, like, how can you practice those beliefs, like, ethically and practically? Um, and that, like, includes, like, setting these spiritual, bi- like, spiritual boundaries when we're bypassed. You know, like, being able to communicate to someone, like, hey, that I'm actually not okay with you saying that, so I'm not going to engage in this conversation. Or I need
0: X, Y, and Z to happen. So that those kinds of excuses are spiritual bypassing? Like, when we say, like, oh, it's God's will? yeah
1: it's tricky. I feel like it can be. And I think a lot of times it is. It's difficult because they feel really well-intentioned. Like they're coming from people most of the time that really care about us and want us to feel better. They want us to feel like happy as quickly as possible again, or to feel the joy of the Lord as quickly as possible again. Um, So I think it's just such a fine line. Like I don't really believe a whole lot in like clearly things are clearly defined. I think it becomes spiritually bypassing when your motivation or the motivation of the other person is to resolve the issue as quickly as possible, and really like bypassing the humanity that we have. You know, we're Mm -hmm. I think as Christians we do that a lot, where we have no value for the like the human side of us, and we're just always aspiring to be more spiritual, more like to be closer to God, but then we forget like Jesus was like God in the flesh, and Jesus Mm -hmm. wasn't afraid of like the humanity. Piece of this, um, so I think I think that's kind of where you know now I'm at a place where I I assume the best in people. I have conversations with my family of like, hey, I actually when you say this, like I feel this way, um, and try to set boundaries in that way. But I know they're well intentioned. But I think you kind of come full circle where you know once you do the work of building these skills, like you stop spiritually bypassing yourself, and you do better at like not spiritually bypassing others, and then. I don't really know what the out of church equivalent phrase is, but like you just show people grace, and mm. you understand like oh they 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 probably spiritually bypass themselves like they don't know how to handle this in themselves, so of course they don't know how to handle this with me, um, and maybe that's the empathy piece.
2: Mm. Yeah, because it feels like that so many times um, you're met with just sort of a dismissive phrase like well it wasn't really that bad or are you sure or in religious circles, well, it was God's will that you know that happened to you, and I'm like, well, what kind of monster God is that then? You know, <laughs> so uh, I think that's really critical to be able to name that and provide vernacular for it, um, because that is um, spiritual bypassing in particular is something I think we all uh, have have had done to us, and my guess is, I know I've done it to other people. I mean, I can remember one of my best friends going through a really traumatic divorce and I was young and he was older and he's sitting on my couch, just weeping from the pain of, you know, of losing his, his, his marriage and just the sadness. And I think one of the dumbest things I've ever said in my life was, well, you know, the Lord's going to use this for good because either a, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to help him with his pain. Or I was just foolish enough to provide some type of pat answer or religious cliche when really I think my friend just needed me to sit there with him in his Mm -hmm. grief and just be okay with the fact that we don't have answers to this. This is a horrible situation. You're sad. You're broken. And I'm sorry. I just want to be here with you as opposed to give you an answer that isn't going to help you anyways. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think it takes a lot of courage to recognize in yourself, like the times when you've spiritually bypassed. And that's a conversation that I have with a lot of people is a lot of people will be like, how do I handle this instance of spiritual bypassing? And I'll, I'll talk it through with them, but I really just encourage people to look at how they spiritually bypass themselves. Like, what does that look like in yourselves? Because when we develop these skills, Like I've said before, we were able to better handle when other people spiritually bypass us. And so it's like we're just a little bit less effective because we're what they say doesn't, I think it goes back to spiritual boundaries, actually, um, especially within like the Christian faith. We have no like tolerance for people like for differences in theology or differences in faith practices, and it's kind of like, well, if if you don't believe exactly like I do, then I don't know that we're equally yoked or we're not good friends, and I don't I don't know I don't know how to navigate this relationship with you if we don't agree eye to eye on everything, and like our spirituality just becomes enmeshed. And so once we do this work of developing emotional intelligence and spiritual integrity, we're better able to say, like, I can own my spiritual beliefs and my spiritual practices and set my boundaries, and I'm not as affected when your boundaries are, like, effed up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in the same way, like, I, you don't have to be affected by what I do. Um, I don't know. That's kind of where my thoughts are going in that is, like, we just – we just feel so uncomfortable with the ambiguity, without things being like clearly right, clearly wrong, mm. you know. And I wrestled with that for a long time. Of like, if if I have to serve a God that gets glory for me being abused, then I don't want that. Like, I don't want it. I don't. Right. I would rather God not get the glory. And I had to come to a place where I'm like, man, you know, and and not even going into like, oh, we just live in a fallen world because I think that's another way that we spiritually bypass. People just say, "Oh, well, sin exists because there's brokenness. Like racism exists because there's sin in the world. Like that's just like the end of the conversation. Or like abuse exists, rape exists, X, Y, and Z exists because, you know, we're just broken people. And I think like when we 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 say that, and that's another form of like spiritually bypassing. Like, yeah, we know there's broken people. Like." in that sense. We know people make harmful choices, but that doesn't mean that we don't pursue justice. We don't pursue accountability and Mm -hmm. we don't pursue healing. You know, people say like, well, yeah, everyone sins, everyone's broken and God's going to get glory from it. Like, okay, that's, those are the bookends. Like this is why, and this is how it ends. So just be over it. Just accept it. Um, I think that's, that's a huge part of how we see spiritual bypassing and we see it kind of leaning into the more severe like spiritual abuse um, because we see people using these pat Christian answers or using scripture to justify not pursuing accountability, to justify the harm that gets caused um, within churches or within, you know, the state of our country right now. Or calling it
0: cancel culture. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Well, I again, I'm processing so much right now um, because I feel like like you're talking about don't spiritually bypass yourself and it's like i feel like that i was taught that that's what's holy and righteous and good
2: mm-hmm. so
0: it's like wait then how do i how do i be spiritual <laughs> if i can't tell myself these like pat answers and I, I really loved what you said about like that it's it's denying the humanity in someone and like not not being afraid to conf- like not confront but be aware of the brokenness like or or even just like yeah that hurts I don't need to tell you that it's all going to be okay because I don't know if it is and like that to me is like whoa and maybe maybe that's just like step one but that's huge because so much of what I was taught in my spirituality is well God's going to make it all right in the end and and if it's not all right then it's not the end and you know all the clichés and so then I like I'm thinking about like how do I do that to myself? I do that 24/7. So <laughs> um but one one thing I'm curious about cuz like I think this happens from the pulpit um or even from pastors on social media or wherever um like they I think that they spiritually bypass and they gaslight all the time and you can't just like while you're sitting in church if you still do that or if you're you know watching on um the internet nowadays you can't just be like stop gaslighting me you can't say that you know you can't do that or or like with your parents sometimes like it is just impossible because they refuse to see it and in like th- they think you you are questioning whether they're saved kind of thing. So how do we protect ourselves from further religious trauma? How do we set those boundaries with like, with people that are really hard to set them with?
1: I mean, you said it boundaries, boundaries are so hard, but I feel like it's always my number one recommendation um, is to be able to clearly say like, I'm going to own this. I'm not going to own that. Um, And to be able to communicate like, like it's, like, it's hard, like, when it's someone, like, that's on the stage. Um, I think if you have that relationship or you feel like your pastor is, like, a safe enough person to say, like, hey, I would really, really like to talk about this comment. Here's how I felt when you said that. Like, can we talk more about this? Or can you explain, you know, why you said it this way? Or can I explain from my experience? You know, I've i been thankful enough that I've had, like, pastors that have let me, you know, do trainings on, like, spiritual health or emotional health. Um but not every pastor is going to be open to that. And I like that's where it gets a hard conversation because like I've been in ministry for years as well. Like I'm not currently, um, but I've been in the church for over a decade and, you know, people say like, don't leave a church just because you're hurt. But I think like that's totally valid. <laughs> um, it's totally Completely valid. Like, valid. If, if you've been hurt, if it's not a, like an emotionally, psychologically, spiritually safe place to be, like then you can leave and that's totally okay. And we don't have to have guilt for that. Um, I think I do, I'm an advocate for like conflict resolution skills and trying to have a conversation if it's safe enough to do that. Um, and I know a lot of churches, especially larger ones, usually have like a chain of command for how you handle like grievances and stuff, you know. So if, if you feel like you're safe enough to do that and your your own like psychological, spiritual well-being is going to be intact by having these conflict resolution attempts, um, then to do that. Um, but really you know just i think with like when it goes like to family having those conversations and like setting more and more firm boundaries like you know i felt really dismissed when you just prayed for me instead of listening like mm-hmm. i really need someone that can listen um mm-hmm. that's kind of the formula is we say i felt blank when blank happened and i need blank instead that's kind of the formula for setting good boundaries
2: mm-hmm. and you just
1: kind of expand on that so it's like hey i felt you know really disrespected when you said X, Y, and Z again, like, I'm not going to like talk about my faith process anymore with you. Gosh, Mm -hmm.
2: I I think we need an entire episode on boundary setting (laughs) and then what to do with people who are in your life who refuse to honor those boundaries, Yes, who continue to come at you. Um, uh, either out of their narcissism or whatever is the case, that that would be a great conversation. Because my guess is there are a lot of us at home, at work, and then spiritually who have people in our lives that truly refuse to uh, accept and acknowledge the boundaries even when we have set them appropriately. Yeah. So we'll have you back on. We'll talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) All right, so we've got uh, one final question for you because this has been kind of a heavy uh, conversation, kind of a heavy topic, and when you look at the future of of faith, uh, when you look at the future of spirituality in general, especially in regard to mental health and trauma, what gives you hope from some of the work that you are doing on a daily basis with individuals who are coping with and, and recovering from trauma?
1: Man, having conversations like this, I'm very, like, this is what gives me hope that that people are able to have these type of conversations and to listen to these conversations, um, kind of seeing, like, how my platform has come together and just the community that's being built, like, on Instagram, even, like, off of my page, like, just seeing that there are prominent voices that are having these conversations, um, you know, it's kind of the same way I feel about just... The general mental health stigma, like we're talking about it more. People are more open about their mental health struggles. And now I think we're seeing that, you know, the church is always like two decades behind, but the church is finally starting to have conversations on like emotionally healthy spirituality. Like that's a book. It's, it's pretty good. Um, but those conversations are happening. I think that makes me feel really hopeful. Like I spent last week, I spent about like three days with like church planters and pastors and had really great conversations about like, what does it look like to have a healthy, like an emotionally healthy church? Or how are you going to address trauma in this new church that you're starting in, you know, Minneapolis or Charleston, like places where we've seen like huge trauma recently. Um, mm. So I think like seeing faith leaders that are actively engaging in the conversation or condemning and leaving, you know, harmful organizations and churches and condemning that like toxic theology that we see, like seeing that shift happening in the Christian faith is very encouraging. Um, I I have no idea what the end goal is going to look like or what we're going to be left with. um, But I I just feel overall encouraged that these conversations are happening.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay. Can we do one last thing with you? Yeah. Yeah. So we just have some fun rapid fire questions for you. Um, So we'll just ask them and you just respond without really thinking about it. Just the first thing that comes to mind. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, I wish you could see how stressed I look right now. But yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) They're fun. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. So the first question I saw on your website that you love game nights. So what's your favorite game?
1: Oh, I love like Cards Against Humanity or like any game where I get to be like really
0: funny and irreverent. That's awesome. Have you, have you heard of, um, oh, 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 it's a game called Joking Hazard. Have you heard of that? No. It's by Cyanide and Happiness. It's very irreverent, but it's similar, but it's, um, like where you use your cards to build like a three panel comics trip and it's, it's definitely not safe for work. So yeah, (laughs) play it with the right, with the right people, but it's hilarious when you do play it with the right people. (laughs) I will have Uh, to look into that.
2: I can only imagine how much trouble I would get in if uh, I played that game. All right. So we also (laughs) noticed that you love SNL. Uh, Do you have a favorite skit or character uh, all time from SNL?
1: Oh, I, okay. I got two. I love Debbie Downer. I think she's hilarious (laughs) because I feel like sometimes I'm Debbie Downer because I just say really serious things sometimes like out of nowhere, like I'm joking, joking, joking. And then I like, I'm like, oh, but actually here's this like fact about trauma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh. But then I also really love um,
0: like the weekend update, like every era of the weekend update. I just enjoy. Mm-hmm. Oh man. They've been so good lately. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What's the first concert you ever went to? Uh,
1: the first concert I went to was Chris Rice at a church. The cartoons
0: got saved guy. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a blast from the past. Oh yeah. my gosh.
2: Crazy. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, last, last question. Uh, what is the best thing about living in Mississippi? Um, if there is one, I mean, let's, you know, I know it's, I know it's,
1: I mean, we've got like good, like comfort food. I think we've got pretty decent food. Like it's not that healthy for you, but it tastes good.
2: The barbecue, <laughs> the bar, barbecue, sweet tea. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, Jess, thank you so much for this. Um, Great conversation. Really helps point us toward, I think, the process of recovery, uh, the language for spotting abuse, uh, especially spiritual abuse. And for anyone who wants more information about how to recover from trauma, uh, a little bit more information about you, uh, even your one-on-one coaching and workshops, um, where can we point them uh, to find out more information?
1: So following me on uh, Instagram at welcome to the process is probably the very best place. I've got a website, um, but it's welcome to the process.org. But on Instagram at welcome to the process is where I'm you know, posting things almost daily about religious trauma, spiritual bypassing, and purity culture. Um, and there you can also find a link to sign up for a workshop that I'm doing on March 28th. Um, and if you aren't able to attend live, it's going to be recorded um, for access later. And it's going to be all about recognizing religious trauma and going a little bit more in depth
0: like we did today.
2: Perfect. Thank you. I think
0: we all need. (laughs) I think any of us who were raised in the church need this. So uh, thank you so much, Jess. I really enjoyed this. And it was honestly, seriously like therapy. And now I'm like, okay, I need to go to therapy. (laughs) I want to go find someone right now. (laughs) So thank you.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Jess.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow, so much to process after that conversation. Religious trauma is no joke and it can be really jarring anytime we realize that things we took as normal and good really just aren't. So if that is you, we highly encourage you to find the help that you need either through therapy or um maybe even through following Jess on Instagram. We have links to her website and all her social media accounts in our show notes, which are at holyheretics.org. If you are interested in the workshop that she mentioned, she has all that info on her website and on her Instagram. And like I said, make sure to give her a follow because she has tons of helpful content all the time regarding bypassing and gaslighting and religious trauma. And that is it for this week. If you're enjoying the show, would you just take five minutes to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps us to find new listeners, and so we would super appreciate it. Next week, we are talking with Travis Wade Zinn, who has a really fascinating story about leaving fundamentalist Christianity, eventually making his way into Buddhism, and then finding God through Buddhism. It's really incredible, and you don't want to miss it. Until then, make sure to follow Holy Heretics on your podcast app so that you're notified every time there's a new episode. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.